Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me again. Paul Gray here. And I want to start out by asking you, would you like to know a mystery a mystery that will take care of any negative thing that you might think there is between you and God. Things like guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, religious control. Let me say that again in a little different way as a statement. Today, I'm going to reveal a mystery. It'll be a mystery to some of you. A mystery that once you get this revelation, you will no longer, as far as you and God are concerned, you will no longer have any shame or guilt or condemnation or fear or be subject to any religious control. If that would be of interest to you, stick with me for the next half hour or so. We're talking about mysteries, mysticism, and mystics in this little 10-week series we're doing. We're about halfway through it. So far, we've discussed how mystics value experience over, quote, sound doctrine, unquote. Mystics ponder existential questions of life like, what is God like? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Mystics are comfortable with uncertainty. We don't have to have all the answers. Mystics value intuition, another word for Christ in you speaking to you, the living word of God speaking to you in real time. Mystics get promptings and knowings and revelations, and they take quantum leaps from not knowing something to instantly knowing something that's been revealed to them. Mystics have let go of the small g God that religion has made in man's image and put in a small little box. They've let go of religion's small g God and embraced the only true God, the Trinity, Papa, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Mystics tend to resent religious authority and unwelcome authority in general. They're not scared of new ideas. They realize no one group has all the answers. And today, mystics tend to live by their own set of rules, not somebody else's. They look outside the box and listen to the voice inside. The voice inside is the teacher, capital T, the Holy Spirit of Christ in us, who speaks to our hearts, our inner person, not to our mind. Now, it's not that mystics intentionally break rules just to be contentious. We abide by government rules, workplace rules, sports rules, but we're no longer bound to man-made religious rules and man's ideas of what God's rules are like. See, not listening to or even having anything to do with somebody else's religious rules will empower you to be rid of all shame and guilt and condemnation and fear and to no longer be subject to religious control. And we're going to see today why that's so important. 
When we talk about someone else's set of religious rules, religion has a name for that. The law. <laughs> the first part of the mystery that I want you to see today is it's not God's law for you, and it never has been God's law for you, no matter what you've been told. In the Old Testament times, as God has always done, God wanted people to know him, the real him, to live in union with him, to experience his love. However, religious people aren't comfortable with mystical knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G. They say, give me the rules, give me the rules, show me what to do and I'll do it. Well, that was me for quite some time. A few thousand years ago, after God delivered the Jewish people from Israel, some two million of them, and promised to give them the land that flowed with milk and honey, God wanted to meet with the nation of Israel in the desert. But they didn't want to get close to God. They didn't want a personal relationship. They wanted a set of rules. So they said to their leader, Moses, they said, you go meet with God. And, and get a list of rules, whatever he wants us to do, and, and we'll do them. We just don't want to get close to him. <laughs> it's like God said, all right, you want rules? I'm going to give you the mother of all rules. Let me know how that works out for you. I mean, I, I don't think he said that exactly, but that's the essence of what happened. And the Hebrews called that the law. Now, apparently, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at what that word commandment means in a while. Not what you think. Then Moses added another 603 of his own laws to the people, what he thought God wanted. And then Moses told the people what he thought God would do to them if they didn't keep every single one of those laws perfectly. By Jesus' day, the religious leaders had added over 2,000 more man-made religious laws. And lest that you think it ended then, it still happens today. Most religious groups have unwritten laws, but they're enforced rigorously. And many are actually even written down. The denomination where I first became a pastor, and there were a lot of good people there, but they had a list of rules you had to agree to and sign in order to be a voting member, a participating member of the church, anybody who held any position of responsibility. Those rules included you would tithe 10% as a minimum. You would not drink alcohol, smoke tobacco, or gamble. You would not even work in a business that sold alcohol, tobacco, or lottery tickets. You would go to church. And that was just some of them. There were many others. If you broke those rules, you were no longer a member. You were taken off the rolls. If you continued to break them, you were expunged. I mean, just think about living in that environment. When Moses gave the people his laws, he said, here's what he thought God would do if you don't keep the law. And that's in the book of Deuteronomy. As I recite some of these, I'm just going to give you a summary of these things in Deuteronomy chapter 28. See if you can imagine, listen to what I'm saying here that Moses thought God was like. See if you could imagine Jesus, who is full of grace, who is grace himself, who is the exact representation of God, who is one with God, see if you can imagine Jesus saying any of these things. That's why I'm confident that these are just what Moses thought God was like. All right, see if you can imagine Jesus saying these things or doing them. 
everything you do and everywhere you go and everything you own and everyone you're related to and every enterprise you set your hand to will be cursed by God 24-7 if you break any of these laws and don't keep them all perfectly. Moses said, the Lord will rejoice to bring ruin upon you and destroy you. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he's consumed you. The Lord will smite you with consumption, something that sounds very much like today's COVID-19. The Lord will smite you with that, with fever and inflammation and firing heat and sword and drought and blasting and mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your dead body will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and the tumors, the scurvy and the itch from which you cannot be healed. He will smite you with madness and blindness and dismay of mind and heart. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Another man will sleep with your wife, live in your house and harvest your crops. Your ox shall be slain before your eyes, but you won't get to eat of it. Your donkey will be violently taken away from you. Can you imagine Jesus wanting to do that? Your sons and daughters will be given to another people. You shall be driven mad by the sights which your eyes shall see. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The Lord will smite you on the knees and on the legs with a sore boil that cannot be healed from the sole of your feet to the top of your head. Even if you do keep all the laws, this is Moses' idea of God, if you don't do it with joy and a good attitude, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in want of all things. And God will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he, God, has destroyed you. It'll be so bad, Moses thought, that you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you. The misery with which your enemies shall distress you with will cause you to eat the bodies of your kids. If you will not be watchful to do all the words of this law, Moses' words, that are written in this book, then Moses' idea was, the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary strokes and blows, great plagues of long continuance and grievous sickness and long duration. Also, just in case he missed anything, every sickness and every affliction which is not written in this book of the law, the Lord will bring those on you until you're destroyed. The Lord will rejoice to bring ruin on you and destroy you. Your life shall hang in doubt before you, and day and night you'll be worried, and you'll have no assurance of your life. All of that's called the law, Moses' law. And Moses laid it on so thick. He was the leader. He didn't have any leadership experience. He was the leader of these two million people. He was thought he was responsible for them now. They were out in the desert. And Moses laid it on them thick to scare them in order to control them so they would behave and get along, according to what Moses thought was right. He said, if you don't keep these laws, God's going to do all these bad things to you, and God will even rejoice in doing it. That was how Moses perceived God. That's what he thought God would do. That's what he thought, well, he had Adam's small g God in mind, not the only true God. That alone, folks, should give pause to those of you who think like I used to, that every word of scripture is inspired by God. I don't believe God inspired Moses to say those things at all. I would say to you that none of those words were inspired by God, and they are all in error. They were all used by Moses in 
accordance to what he thought God was like in order to control people, religious control, to keep them in fear. Fear of Adam's dark, angry, religious, small g God. We're going to see in just a little bit how that can play out. The good news is Jesus, who is the exact image and representation of God, is the exact opposite of all of that. This is all bad news. Jesus is all good news. Jesus showed and told us that God is perfect love, perfect goodness. And perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love. God is love and pure light with no trace of darkness. That little verse there in 1 John 4 totally negates not only Deuteronomy 28, but all the law. Listen to the revelation of this great mystery. You and all people today are under grace, not law. Not a single person alive today has ever been under what's incorrectly called God's law. God's law has been done away with, unless you choose to read those old words and apply them. Jesus came to show us that that version, Moses' version of God, is a lie. And Jesus came to reveal the only true God, his Father, to us. One time, Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And Moses, representing the law, and Elijah, representing the prophets, came to meet with them. And Peter was so excited, he wanted to make three equal shrines to the three of them. God immediately took Moses and Elijah out of the picture, which I believe it was his God was God's plan for the whole thing, and said, don't listen to Moses or Elijah. This is my son, Jesus. Only listen to him. Boy, what a great revelation that that is. Now, Jesus came to reveal the only true God, his father to us. Jesus doesn't have a set of rules like Moses. Jesus has a set of grace, <laughs> not law. Here's the first part of the mystery of law and grace. Jesus totally took the law out of the picture for all mankind. I could give you a myriad of scriptures about that and the references. I'm just going to give them a few of them to you today without the references. You can look these up to yourself if you want to, or, you know, email me, contact me, and I'll send you a list of them. Here we go. Most of these were written by Paul, who had been the champion of the law until God revealed the truth to him. The law brings wrath upon those who follow it. The purpose of the law was to increase sin. The law, which promises life, only brings death through sin. The law makes you sinful beyond measure. The law is a ministry of condemnation and death. I want to show you that in a very graphic example. I'm not going to mention this person's name, but I am going to interview him on my podcast coming up soon. So if you hear this and hear that, you'll know who it is. A Facebook friend of mine contacted me recently. And uh, we had a great long visit on the phone. And he told me that when he was nine years old, his parents sent him to a very strict, fundamentalist, legalistic religious school. And he went there from the time he was nine years old till he graduated high school. It was all based on eternal conscious torment and, ha and the unforgivable sin and things like that. It was just hammered into him every single day. And he said he was a nutcase, his words, by the time he was senior in high school and got out of there. It was so bad. He was so in fear 
of having committed the unpardonable sin and being eternally tormented consciously that he couldn't stand to live anymore. So he got a gun, a pistol, pointed it at his head, pulled the trigger, and it jammed. He got another gun and jerked away from his head at the last moment and actually shot off one of the fingers of his other hand. They came and put him in the hospital, in the psych ward. Now, it's turned out well, but that is, Paul wrote that the law is a ministry of condemnation and death. Now, I realize that doesn't happen to everyone, but degrees of that happen to everyone who follow the law. That's why it's so important to know this mystery. The law is not for you. It's not God's law, and it was never intended for you, and you've never been under it. Here's some more things. Anywhere the law is preached, it produces a mind-hardening and a heart-hardening veil. The law frustrates grace. The law was a curse that Jesus redeemed us from. Christ has abolished the law, which was a wall of hostility. The Apostle Paul considered everything the law gained him as scubala, the Greek word that was used when it was written, which actually means dog poop. <laughs> he went on to say the law is weak, useless, obsolete, and God's found fault with it and created a better covenant and acted on better promises. It's obsolete, growing old, and ready to vanish. Do you get the picture there? Moses' law was not good to begin with. It wasn't what God wanted to begin with. God used it to show us we couldn't keep it, and we needed someone to save us from Moses and Adam's and everybody else's dark, religious, fictitious version of God. Jesus fulfilled the law. We were never under it, and we're to stay away from it. John 1.17, the mirror translation says this, The law was given through Moses, Grace and truth have their genesis in Jesus Christ. Against the stark backdrop of the law, with it representing Moses' condemned state of mankind, Jesus reveals grace and truth. Isn't that good? Now, in addition to knowing these mysteries, it's all important that we take heed to what Paul, who had been the leader and a champion of Moses' law, wrote. Here you're going to see that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't see this. Now, you're not going to get condemnation from God, but you'll see how this grieves the Holy Spirit when we don't see this. What I'm talking about here is Ephesians 4, 28 to 30. There are various more modern translations that don't really convey the essence of what the King James shows in this. Ephesians 4, 28 to 30. Apostle Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt communication. But only let come out of your mouth what is good for necessary edification, encouraging and building up those that it may impart everybody who hears it. And the next verse, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupt communication, according to this passage, is when we communicate to people in any way that they are under the law. 
even one little part of it. And corrupt communication is when we convey to people that if they break even one little bit of the law, God is going to smite them and punish them, maybe even punish them eternally in conscious torment. That's corrupt communication because it's false. It demeans the character of God's pure light and love with no darkness. It's corrupt communication, and it grieves the Holy Spirit because it hurts people. It presents a false picture of God, and it causes people to live in fear and judgment and played out to the max, which doesn't happen with everybody, but it certainly does with some. It leads to what happens with my friend that I talked to you about who was so in fear, it drove him mad, and he attempted to kill himself. Now, sure, that doesn't happen to everybody. It does happen to some. And the degree that it hurts us, even to smaller degrees, causes us to live in fear and trepidation. I've seen it over and over and over again, not only in myself, but since I've come out of that and realized I'm not under law, but under grace, I've seen it in countless people who I've had the privilege of sharing the good news with and helping them realize that what they thought was true was not. This is what the Judaizers, the religious leaders in Paul's day did. And unfortunately, it's what religion continues to do. Religious people are not the enemy, but Many religious people are repeating what they've been told and what they've been told and what they've been told, telling people God will punish them if they don't obey the rules. And that comes from the Old Testament, from Moses and Adam's and other people's incorrect understanding of God. What exactly did Jesus do about the law? Well, Jesus filled the law full of grace. It's the mystery. Second Corinthians 5, 17 and 19, since everyone is in Christ, we're new creations. The old things, the law, has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the old cosmos to himself, not imputing their trespasses against the law to them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. The guy who wrote that, Paul, Jesus personally chose him to be the apostle of grace and revealed to him what grace is and how Jesus' finished work at the cross totally did away with the Hebrew system of law, which Saul had been the champion of. And they falsely believed that came from God. He showed Paul, no, it didn't come from God. And God instituted the new covenant of grace, and Paul became the, the apostle of grace. And he revealed to Paul, and Paul's revealed to us, and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us today, that we're all under grace. That's good news. Jesus has no law. As a matter of fact, he only has one commandment. John 13, 34, and 35. This is from the mirror. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, and I'm going to explain to you what that word means. Keep on loving one another just as I've loved you. He said, my love for you is the source of your love for one another. And Francois Dutoit, the translator of the mirror, says that word commandment comes from the Greek word entole, which means to set out for a definite point or goal. It doesn't mean commandment. That is a mistranslation. It's to set out for a definite point or goal. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Make this your definite point. Make this your goal. Keep on loving one another as I've loved you. <laughs> Jesus said, in this environment of your love for one another, everybody will come to know your discipleship for me. 
Now, the Jewish religious leaders tried to trick Jesus one day, and they said, which one of the laws is the greatest? Well, Jesus didn't play their game. He answered them this way. He said, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. And remember, this means set out for a definite goal. The second is important. Love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.14, love completes the laws of God. All the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. That's what God's law is, small l. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Now, remember why it's so important for you to know this mystery about law and grace? If you believe any little bit of the law, as most religion teaches, you're going to experience shame and condemnation and fear and guilt and worry every time you fail to keep a rule that you think is from God. And you're going to think that shame comes from God, but it doesn't. You will believe the lie that you or somebody else is being punished by God because they did something wrong. And in the process, when you communicate that to yourself and to other people, you grieve the Holy Spirit. My friend whom I referenced, who was driven to attempted suicide by religious purveyors of false communication, now tells a story of great redemption. And when you hear my interview with him, you will hear him say, and I'm putting this in print with it, that God brought this redemption about through people helping him see the truth and reject what was false. And he mentioned specific people, Baxter Kruger, Steve McVeigh, Paul Young, Mike Zinker, and us. See, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing together. We are proclaiming the good news of God's grace, Jesus' unconditional love for us that has made us all forever right with God. That is good news. It's a much better way to live. It's called grace. Grace to all people. Hey, thank you all for being with me today. Look forward to seeing you next time. Paul Gray saying, love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.